0: Hello everybody, welcome to Keys Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in the series we're doing called Meals with Jesus and what we're doing uh, is we're looking uh, really at the Gospel of Luke um, and in, if you've never noticed as you've read through the Gospel of Luke before um, interesting enough, Jesus throughout the Gospel of Luke is either on his way to a meal, at a meal or leaving a meal and this happens throughout and so there's a lot of things that happen um, with Jesus around meals, in uh, particular in the Gospel of Luke. And and so the way uh, Luke presents uh, Jesus' ministry, these meals are central to the mission of Jesus. And it's fascinating as you look at these events because what we find out is that Jesus will share a meal with anyone. And I think that's significant for us to know. He, he We've seen him have meals with tax collectors that are sort of the worst of the worst. Uh, and all the way around the spectrum to... Um, uh, Pharisees uh, and, and um, that if they invite him, he generally goes and he has a meal with them and that this is an amazing picture of the grace of God, the, the willingness of Jesus to sit around a table, which is really a uh, table fellowship is a very um, intimate, relational kind of thing and, and so, you know, unfortunately, culturally, we're losing some of that but um, it had been for, you know, centuries uh, and, and still should be a very sort of focal point of uh, relationship and, and certainly was very important to Jesus. And so, you know, I've sort of tagged throughout this, this series that before Jesus ever picked up the cross, he picked up a fork and things started changing. And uh, so I like that, although I don't know if they really had forks. But nonetheless, uh, you get the idea as we go through that. So, uh, we're going to be talking about another meal today uh, in just a moment. That's the intro transition. There's always a bad joke. I'm thinking about this one. Got to tell me what you think about this. Young man's getting ready to go to the prom, and so he he needs to get tickets, so he goes to get tickets to the prom, and there's this huge long line for tickets, so he stands in the line and... He gets tickets and just figures, oh, well, that's the way it goes, I guess. And then uh, he wants to get a, a limo, you know, and do it right. And so he goes to rent the limo. And again, there's this huge long line. He can't believe it. Stands in line, gets the limo, goes to get a tuxedo. There again, line, just massive line. He's in line. You can't believe these lines are just crazy. He gets that. He, he goes to the florist to get a little, you know, do it right. And again, long line. He just, it's crazy, all these lines. We so finally, the big day comes around. They go to the prom... He and his date, she's thirsty, so he goes to get them both punch, and there's no punch line. Thank you very much. <laughs> but That was awesome, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Took a lot of work. Yeah. I'm thinking tomorrow when I do that, I'm going to do a mic drop, <laughs> just to extend it. All right, scripture reading here on purpose. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something, he might say. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So here he goes, another meal. Uh, Jesus has done some teaching. A Pharisee invites him to dinner, and sure enough, Jesus goes. And then you can see that the whole meal was a little, there was a little tension at the meal. And... uh, and that's what happens, and, and so I want to talk about that today and what's going on in this meal and, and what we can learn from it, because I think it's really significant, the next couple of meals that we get to have, have sort of this same sort of um, theme running uh, through them that are really important for us as a church to get a hold of. So it starts out simply enough, point number one, did you wash your hands? That's sort of what happens in this whole process um, Luke 11, 38, the Pharisees noting that Jesus did not first wash before the meal was surprised. Um, So I think most of us have had this uh, sort of tossed at us throughout our lives when we were younger, and we probably used it. If you've had children, you had to wash before a meal. Did you wash your hands? Pretty normal, standard sort of question. Did you wash your hands? Did you wash your hands? And in the pursuit of hygiene, it's a a certainly uh, right instruction. But this is not what's taking place here at this meal. And... Um, what, what the uh, Pharisees were upset about was not just a normal hand-washing in the process. Um, and so, so what the issue was this, is there was, um, if there was going to be a meal with bread in it, there was a ritual hand-washing um, that, that the Pharisees practice, and, and, um, uh, and so this, this ritual hand-washing has a name, it's netilat. And it, it's a, it literally means raising um, the hands after washing. Kind of like, you know, if you're going in for surgery. Not that I've ever done that, but you've seen that on the TV probably. Um, and, and this would be done with a blessing prior to eating any bread with a meal. And, and so um, what would happen is before they would sit down to dinner, it would be a big deal. They had these special cups with two handles uh, with water in them. And, and you would go over a basin and you would, you would pick up um, with your least dominant hand, so for, you know, 80% of the world, 90% of the world, left hand, you'd pick up the left hand, and over the right hand, you would pour water three times on the right hand, and then you would usually pick up a cloth or something, because that way, that hand was now ceremonially clean, you to hold the other handle, you'd repeat the same thing on the left hand, then you'd raise your hand, and they would, they would rec- recite a prayer, you know, Baruch I, it goes on and on. It's a, it's a blessing, um, uh, you know, of this ritual washing. And then they would go silent until they would eat the bread. They would pick up the bread just before there would be another blessing, blessing of the bread. And then they would eat. And so um, the Pharisees, this is what they did. Before every meal, it was a big show. And um, um, what Jesus, in effect, is saying, because he just reclines at the table... Is, is it's not necessary. Jesus just kind of gets down, sits you remember I told you how they lean on the table, he's there reclining, he's ready to eat, he's basically saying, let's eat. And because he didn't do all this other stuff, the Pharisees now are judging him in a very self-righteous way. Again, they get that attitude, who does he think he is? If he really was who he says he was, he would have done what we always do, which is this big process of washing their hands before they sat down, sat down to a meal. And so Jesus' response To them, as a series of woe statements, w o e statements. Now, um, when we read that, we we sort of—I think a lot of times—we'd have the idea that this woe was a stinging rebuke, but in effect, it's more of a an expression of grief, uh, an expression of regret that these guys don't get the bigger picture. That that um, um, Jesus is really—you know—because he cares about the Pharisees too. Uh, He, you know, he came for them, came for everybody. Uh, and, and he's saying to them, You guys, you, your priorities, you've messed up your priorities. And, and that's sort of the issue with what's going on here. Now, remember, whenever we read about the Pharisees, I think we can have a tendency because of you know, the way they ultimately persecute Jesus and the you know, responsible in effect for, for the whole, you know, getting them to the cross and everything. Um, we think of them as just an evil group of men. You know, we watch them bring people in, the woman caught in adultery, all those things. They just don't care about people. So so at, at some level, we can just write them off as a bad group of folks. But what we have to think about is this, is that they didn't start out that way. The Pharisees um, really started out as a sort of a philosophical sect of Judaism 3rd uh, century B.C. And and the reason that they formed was they were... Because they were, that word Pharisee actually means to separate. At this period in history, the Greeks were... Trying to make everybody be like the Greeks, they were they were Hellenizing everybody. That's what that word is called, and and the the Pharisees got together to stop that from happening to the Jewish people. They wanted to protect their heritage and their culture and the word that they had, and so um, they started with really good intent to to be this this sort of um, group that would would protect uh, Judaism in effect, um, and and so um, they. At Jesus' time, they had become a very powerful, almost political party. Uh, At the time of Jesus, there were three sort of very powerful Jewish groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. Um, The Essenes are the ones that hid the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the biggest two of the groups. um, And the high priests were involved in those things. And it was very political in the process um, of what's going on. And... um, one of the main differences, you know, Paul uses between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because Paul was a Pharisee, was the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. And the way you remember the difference is the ones that don't believe in the resurrection are sad, you see. Okay. So, um, so, so the Pharisees began, and this is important to know, you have to see this, because this is really what ties into us. They, they, they began to really preserve the national integrity and strict conformity to the law of Moses. Now, in this story, you also have a group of folks at the table called scribes, um, uh, and the scribes copied down the law, and they were considered to be experts in it. So, so the scribes and the Pharisees were among the leaders of Israel at the time of Jesus. Now, here's, I think, the problem, and, and the reason I go through all that saying they didn't start out bad is... The, the church has a tendency to become like Pharisees and we have to be on guard against it all the time because it's, it's not good when it happens. And what they did, um, and this is, uh, you get this, when with the Pharisees and the scribes had, had begun to look at the word of God as a possession to wield as a weapon to keep themselves justified and in power rather than seeing the word of God as a living document that would reveal their inadequacies before God, causing them to understand their need for His mercy and His grace and seek after His salvation. And see, that's what what we have to be careful of, that we don't... It's a, it's a slip into self-righteousness that uses the Word to judge others and stops letting it have its impact on us, which it should continually. That we get the idea that the Word... When we really are reading the Word the way we should, we understand... That we can't, we're not going to make it without Jesus. We need his grace every day. We need mercy every day and that changes us. So, so the Pharisees didn't start out as hypocrites um, who said one thing and did another. They were, they were honestly trying to serve God and not fall back into sin and be, you know, completely overtaken by the Greeks. But what they did, and this is the mistake that, that the church needs to be careful of, is they, they, they started trying to create a rule for every possible situation instead of letting their lives be molded by the character of God. That's what happens. That's, that's what it means to be self-righteous, legalistic, a Pharisee. Um, rather than allowing in us the Spirit of God to continue to work in us, um, we just start trying to put rules on every situation. And so both these groups had were well-meaning but fell into this sort of legalistic, self-righteous trap. And, and um, the reason I think it's so important, we have to be aware of it, and the, we have to be challenging ourselves all the time, or the church continually falls into the trap. Remember, the goal for us is to be more like Jesus. Um, you know, we, we start out, and when we come to Him, giving, being given a new nature by Him, and, and that transformation continues to take place as we yield to the Holy Spirit in our lives, so the, the thing is and that's what was going on with these guys with all the performance, with the hand washing It's we, we need to understand it's less about performing by a bunch of rules than it is about relating to God we need to to be relating to God because that's where change happens in us, uh, an active, vibrant ongoing relationship with God where God has access to you and you come into his presence uh, often in worship and prayer and and, and and in that process you're changed from the inside out or we have to deal with self-righteousness, which is going on the table. That's point number two. Self-righteousness, Galatians 3, 1 through 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit... Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And, and that's really what we have to be... That's, that's the, the subtle switch that happens that we need to be aware of. Uh, we, we start thinking we have to earn it. And we will start going into this rule-based relationship with God where there's no life. And so, so ways that we deal with that, are, there are always this, little letter A under that, we're all broken. It's a constant thing we have to be aware of. We are... We're broken. Apart from Jesus, we're, we got nothing. And... Uh, we have to come from our to grips with the fact uh, that we're broken. We're born broken. Um, from our earliest stages in life, main concerns are pleasure and avoiding pain. Just look at little guys. You'll see it. It's very apparent. We live in a fallen world. Sin abounds. All of us have sinned in the pursuit of pleasure and pain-free living. It's just its what happens. And so uh, we need to always be aware of the fact that we're broken. Now, coming to Jesus means that that we've found the cure in effect uh long term but we're still broken we haven't arrived yet we're still in process so we're we're the only thing that's different between us and and people that don't know jesus is that we've we've come to know jesus but we're still a big mess that he's working on in the process while he's drawing everybody else we need to be careful we don't fall into the trap of the letter b you've heard me talk about this if you've been here before i like to bring it up every now and again the sin scale um and and Please don't, you know, jump into your, uh, your Bible dictionaries looking for sin scale. It's not there. Uh, it's a, this is a Steve-ism. I don't give them to you very often, but I will, when I am giving you one, I will announce it. This is a Steve-ism, the sin scale. Um, but the idea, I think, is, is definitely there. The sin scale um, is something that we sort of used, and we arbitrarily determine some sins as being very, very bad, and some sins not so bad. And we do that culturally over time. So there's really bad sins and there's not so bad sins and we just think that's the way that it works. And, and what we look at, um, the, the way we get self-righteous is we think our sins are not, the not so bad ones and other people's sins are the very bad ones and then we judge them. When in, when in effect, it's sin. Uh, and, and all of it is missing the mark at some level. Uh, so like often, um, believers will see gossip as a little sin and engage in it when in, a, in effect gossip is talked about more in the scriptures and just about everything else as being a big problem but we don't perceive it as such and so it's often engaged in and and yet it's a big problem but see we we think well i just a little i just, it's so juicy i have to spread it uh and and that gets us in trouble because it's sin um and and so so you know that this is that's a, then we look at other people though and we think they're far worse so we have to be very careful that we don't put that into play it's sin we're all broken we need to be aware of that we all got issues self-righteousness also, always also has a little hint of hate in it and um i think about this statement that goes around and i know people say it um, and, and mean well by it and it's just over time as i've really thought about it i i, I think this statement is is um we, we have to be careful with is people say again not picking but well we got to hate the sin and love the sinner and I understand the, the thinking behind that, but the problem is, if you really s- plug into that statement, it has some very self-righteous undertones. Because my, my, my thought is this, if, if that's what your thought is, and you're relating to someone who you think you're relating that way, I'm going to, well, I hate your sin, but I love you. I promise you that person is feeling judged because you're, you're popping yourself up as superior somehow. You're not relating to them cleanly. Um, and, and so there's a measure of it that says, well, you know, I'm not as bad as you, and people can really feel that, and, uh, and so we lose our impact. So, so what do we do? Uh, three, true righteousness, which is what we're called to, right? rightly living before God. Matthew 22, 34 through 40, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with his question, teacher, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So how do we work that in and in the process? Talked about this before. A, we always need to see the beauty of people's potential. We need to be not labeling people. We need to not be judging people on the sin scale. We need to not do that sort of slightly hateful thing. I'm better than you. But just deal with them as people that God has created. When Jesus looked at sinners, he saw past their sin and saw the beauty of their potential. Uh, and I know that because that's how he related to me. Um, when, he, when he first began to relate to me, it, he, he saw potential um, past the layers of mess that I had and still have. Um, and so he it's, but Jesus doesn't condone sin he just doesn't allow it to be the focus and that's the issue and, and the, when you want when we start wanting to make sin be the focus it's because we are, we've slipped into rule following and it's too easy to pick apart and judge we've gotten away from sort of trusting the, the Lord to be working on us on the inside we start cleaning the outside and it, we don't get there this uh, also needs to be grace-filled self-righteousness B, it's grace-filled Jesus uh, was able to treat people this way because he exemplified this grace-filled life. He loved people, and people knew it. Again, for every range of the spectrum. I'm telling you, the, the Pharisees, although they would get mad at him, they still wanted to be around him. Ultimately, you know, they're going to plot to overthrow him because he, he talks to them honestly. But, but they, were, they, came, they would have him to dinner because there was something about Jesus. And, and what they're responding to is his amazing love, and it's what everybody along the spectrum responded to. And and so this whole thing is displayed in love. That's C. Um, It it doesn't take sin lightly, true righteousness. Understands that people are only ever healed from their brokenness in the context of a loving relationship with God. And so we have to be aware of that. We have to understand that that's how this process works, just the way it worked for us. And, And what I want you to see in that meal with Jesus sort of bypassing all the performance stuff and just saying, come on, guys, let's hang out. And then when they, when they judged him for that, he says, this is the problem, guys. You, you, you're so consumed with all of these rules that you've missed the bigger picture, and I want you to see the bigger picture. I want you to get it. And, and they refused to, to see that, most of them, in the process. So what I want us to see throughout this whole thing is to be constantly challenging our own Phariseeism and then always trying to love and see people the way that God does. Because that's what he demonstrates in these meals. He was just seeing people, the beauty of their potential, wanting to hang out with them, um, extending to them the kingdom of God in every way possible so that they might find their way in. And, and that's what he wants us to do. And so, you know, think about that. And, and this next meal that we're going to have together, we're going to talk about. You'll see some of these same themes moving through in some fascinating ways. Um, but that's good uh, today to, to sort of think about that. I challenge you, to always be looking at your tendency towards being a little bit of a Pharisee so that we don't lose our impact in the world the way that this group did. And, and uh, that's part of the process. That's good for today. If you're watching my video, thank you so much for doing that. We appreciate you doing that. And we hope to see you soon. You can go to the website if you need prayer and let us know. And that would be great. But uh, we're going to call it a day right there.